So this is supposed to be a picture of my grandmother. Her name is Juanita. Her first name is actually Clara, but everybody calls her Juanita or Nita. So my whole life I've called her Grandma Nita. She doesn't look like a Juanita, but that's her. She's about 80 years old, and she's the hardest working person I know. She's, she was married to a farmer. She raised three sons. They all farm. Go farmers. I love farmers and farming. She is the best cook ever, as far as I'm concerned. HL says that's why he married into the family, and I believe him. And I, still, I have two younger sisters that are single, so if you're interested in getting in on it, you've got some. <laughs> it's possible. She's got a few, a few years left of good meals, I'm sure of it. Um, so, she's, like I said, she's almost 80 years old. I think in November is her birthday. And the other day, I was at her house eating, they call it dinner in Southern Illinois. We call it, I call it lunch, now that I'm married to HL. But uh, I asked her, it was just me, her, me and her and my kids, and I've been meaning to ask her for a while. It's kind of an awkward question. And I said, I just, out of the blue, she was cooking, and I said, I've been meaning to ask you this. I said, you know, you've lost your husband, you've lost a couple siblings, your parents, you've been through a lot in your life. I said, what would your advice be for me? Because I know someday you're going to be gone and I'm going to want to know. And she said, yeah, you're right. And uh, she, she was quiet for a minute. And she didn't give me some profound answer, but what she said was, you know, my grandma always told me, she said, that's life. She said, you just have to keep going because that's life. And that's my grandma. She's pretty simple. She doesn't, you know, talk a whole lot. And that's, you know, that's, like you said, I've been stewing on this for however long. I have a long time to think about it and look forward to this um, every year. And I, and what I wanted to talk about was how to get through hard times because we all are going to go through hard times in our life. We've all been through them. We're all going to go through more. And it's just a fact of life. Everybody is going to die someday. Your parents, your grandparents, your, you know, your, if you outlive your siblings, you know, it's just part of life. And not just death, but divorce, um, you know, people at work hurt your feelings, you get fired. Lots of hard stuff happens in life. And I think it's important that we think about that. I don't want us to be like, oh God, you know, the hard times are coming. That's not what I mean. I mean to be prepared on the inside and knowing that you're strong on the inside. And when those things happen, it's still going to be hard, but you can do it and you can get through it. And in the Bible, this is the lovely Lacey. <laughs> um, it says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So this verse says to train. Um, that means you have to do something. You're supposed to train yourself. You're supposed not just to, you know, coming to church is awesome. You sit here for an hour, you learn something, but you're supposed to do something outside of here. And we train ourselves, you know, a lot of us work out. We invest money so we're ready someday when we retire. We train, we prepare, we do lots of things. But do we prepare for the hard stuff that we're going to go through? Do we prepare? Are we ready for when those times come? Because a lot of times you have no idea and it's unexpected. And I think we, it's, it's a really important thing. So this verse says, I will show you what it's like when someone, this is Jesus speaking, when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break, Against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. HL used this verse a few weeks ago on a, 
when he was preaching. And when he did these verses, dig deep, just really, I mean, those words stood out to me, dig deep. Digging is hard. If you've ever dug a hole, if you've ever used a shovel a lot, you get calluses, maybe blisters, your hands bleed. It's a lot of work to dig deep. A shallow hole is one thing, but a deep one is a whole other thing. And digging deep requires a lot of effort and requires work. So I was thinking, um, what can I talk about that's going to prepare them for the hard times? I don't want it to be a fear message, you know. And I was praying in my room one day, just a few weeks ago, and it, I felt like God told me love. I felt like he said, the best thing that you can do to prepare for all the stuff that you're going to go through is to be the best at love, to be the best that you can possibly be. And in 1 Corinthians 12, before, he talked, before Paul talked about what is love, he said, let me show you a way of life that is best of all, and that is love. And then he goes on to explain what love is. Um, so more than anything else that you can focus on and concentrate on in your life, more than you know, being in shape, having more money, if you focus on love and having more love in your life and being more full of love in your life, I think that you'll be better prepared to go through all the stuff that you're going to have to maybe. You know, some of us, I don't want to, I, do, I really don't want this to be like a fear type thing at all. I just, I just want it to be focused on the positive of it. But how do we do that? How do we prepare for love? I mean, you could talk about this for hours, but this verse, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and I possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So if you could touch people and heal them, if you could tell the future, that's what this is saying. It doesn't mean anything if you don't love people. So that's just, you know, obviously love is extremely important. So how do we do it? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And, you know, this is something I think we all have heard before. And so I don't want you to be like, eh, I know, love people. Everybody knows that. They talk about that in church all the time. I found, I really like this. It says, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. I don't feel like I'm necessarily standing firm in this. Maybe you are, but this is something we do need to be reminded about continually. You can never hear this enough, the, the love message, in my opinion, over and over and over. We need to hear it because it's so important and it's so, so hard to do. So what is love? This is the love chapter. They read it at weddings. Almost everybody knows it. Um, a lot of you probably have it memorized. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, is, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So love is not a mushy feeling that you have. Love is not when you see a child with, you know, a dirty face on the TV that you need to donate money to this, oh, I feel so bad. You know, that could be a form of love, but it's not. Love is doing something. Love is an action. Um, so love, what is love? It is patience. When you're patient with someone, you're showing them love. When you don't envy someone, when you're happy for them, when they get something that you don't have, that is love. When you're not resentful, um, 
When you rejoice in the truth, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures. Love endures. Love's keep, love keeps going. It doesn't stop. That is what love is. And this is something you can read over and over and over until it sinks down deep inside of you. And I think it's something we do need to read over and over and over. Um, this verse, very hard. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is John 15. Later he says, over and over, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command, and this is my command, to love each other. That's what he said. The most important thing is to love people and to lay down one's life for one's friends. I've never done it. hope I never have to. can't think of anybody I would lay my, my life. Probably my kids. Maybe HL. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a very, very hard thing. But, and I don't think he necessarily means to die. It could mean that. But it could just mean you give up something that's really important to you or something you really want for someone else. You lay down yourself and your desires and your wants and your needs for what someone else wants and needs. So this, this verse is kind of what we're going to, the few things we're going to focus on for how to do it, the practicality. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it says in increasing measure. So you start with one, a little more of the next one, a little more of the next one, a little more of the next one. And then the last one is, of course, love. But the three things that I want to focus on are self-control, perseverance, and then, of course, love. How do, we do, how do we get there? How do we become the best at love that we can be? So we're prepared for, for life and what it has to offer. So the first one is self-control. Fun, fun. This verse says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So this says God teaches us to have self-control. So that's, that's his desire for us. He gives us the power to have that. And it's kind of like a duel inside of you. There's, you know, we're all born with a conscience and we all have a good part and a bad part inside of us. And when you become a Christian, I think God's spirit lives inside of you and it makes the good it makes it a little easier to be good, hopefully. But you spend the, it doesn't when you become a Christian, you don't all of a sudden become perfect and you can just be great all the time. But God's spirit inside of you should constantly be working and if you're training yourself, um, you, hopefully the good part of you will become stronger than the bad part. And it is like a war going on. And there's lots of verses in the Bible taught that I think Paul said, the good I want to do, I don't do. I do the bad things instead. And we all know what we should do a lot of the time. We know what's right, but actually doing it can be a different thing. And so I think you can strengthen the good part of you, the God part of you. You can make that part stronger, just like you lift weights you can make the good part, and it, so it becomes easier and easier and easier to do the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. It doesn't mean you still won't make mistakes, but it becomes more natural to do what you should do. So the discipline, self-control, that just means controlling yourself. Um, the bad, controlling, some people say it's the flesh, your selfishness, 
You know, there's lots of words for the soul man. When I was a kid, my mom, my mom would always say, that's your soul man, when I would fight with my sisters, which I did a lot. So <laughs> she would mean that's the bad part of you. Control it. Get control of yourself, Kara. So what can we do to make ourselves stronger so we can love better, to make the good part of us, the love part of us, that wants to do the right thing, stronger? A couple things. There's many, many things, of course. One thing I think that would help is fasting. And he's talked about it before, the book Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster. I think he talks about 10 or 12 disciplines. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. He did a whole series on it, I think, last fall. So if you want to know even more about fasting, you can listen to a sermon on it. But fasting is refraining from something that you want, that you desire. Most of the time it's food. It talks, you know, in the Bible, Jesus fasted, Moses fasted, <coughs> disciples fasted. It was a part of their life. And it's not so much a part of our life anymore. Um, and I personally, I think, you know, you can fast TV, you know, your phone, whatever. I think food is the hardest thing. And I think it's, that's what I would recommend. Um, I think everybody, all Christians, should fast something, in my opinion. And I think you should do it regularly. Um, why? Because it controls that part of you that really, you know, that the part that I want what I want. I want the cake. And if you fast, it's like you're calming that part down, you're controlling it, and you're not allowing it to rule you. There's nothing wrong with eating. We need to eat, right? Fine to use your phone. Fine to watch TV. But when you stop those things and you fast and you cease for a period of time, it's like it brings those things under control and it breaks any power that it might have in your life. Even if it doesn't, you know, I'm not saying you have a food addiction, but it, there's, just, there's a power in it, honestly. It's going to make your selfishness, it's going to bring it down, I think, especially if you do it regularly. It makes it easier to say no to things you know you need to say no to and to say yes to things you know to say yes to. Um, I've seen some amazing things happen in my life because of fasting. It's actually how I got H.L. to marry me. I liked him for four years. He never paid me attention. I fasted for seven days. The next week he asked me out. And I'm not joking. That's <laughs> kind of. That's kind of what happened. But really, it didn't make a difference. I, it, I, I really think it did. Um, I'm not saying it works for everybody, but it worked for me. Um, but fast, I highly recommend it. You know, even one meal. You don't have to fast for a week or a month. One meal every Tuesday. You don't eat lunch, and you take that time to pray instead. But I recommend even working up to longer, two days, where you have juice or water or something. And it is so hard, and you will be, you'll make excuses. Well, you know, I'm hypoglycemic, or my blood sugar's low, or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, talk to your doctor. I'm not saying hurt yourself, but I think everybody can fast. Eat you know, grilled chicken for a week or something. You know, you can do something that is considered fasting. Next one is to be quiet, is silence. I think this is a discipline that is really important, and we don't do it a, a whole lot. It's also in the, the book that I recommended. Um, and you could talk, you know, there's a lot of things you could talk about related to silence, but one of them, I think, is listening. Um, when you listen to someone... You show them that you love. You show them that you care about them. You show them that you love them. And I think it's a skill that is good to develop to be a good listener. If you're the person that always talks all the time when you're with your friends or, you know, at work, it, it would be better sometimes if you were quiet and you listened. Instead, you learn. That's how you learn about people. That's how you learn what they need, how you can pray for them, 
what's wrong with them, how you can be a good friend. People like being around people who are good listeners. And I think that's a skill that's important to develop. The Bible says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So you're supposed to listen first and then talk. That's a good discipline to have. And also not gossiping, um, not talking bad about people. If someone offends you and then you go tell your ten friends about it, I think there's a verse in Proverbs that says, he who covers an offense promotes love. And then it says something else. I don't remember what. But it's true. If you cover an offense, you promote love. You hear something bad about someone or someone does something that bothers you or annoys you. I mean, yeah, it's okay to confide in someone to get their advice about what you should do. But if you go and you know, tell ten other people and it's none of their business, that's not promoting love. In those situations, I think silence is better. So that's a couple practical things, fasting, silence, that I think are helpful with self-control. Next is perseverance. This handsome man is Adoniram Judson. I think H.L. might have talked to him, maybe even used this picture before, but this is who we named our third son after, so we're fond of him. <laughs> His last name is Judson, and he um, was considered the first missionary from the United States. And he, I don't remember what year it was, sometime in the 1800s, he was in his early 20s, and he went to Burma. Um, and at that time, there were, I believe, no missionaries in Burma. He went with his wife, and he, going over there, he had a, the, on the ship, you know, it took him months to get there. I believe the survival rate for the, sh the ship ride was only about half of the people even made it to the other country. I mean, you can't just get on a plane, you know, fly Delta for 10 hours and be there. He had to be on a ship for that long. Sick, terrible diseases. I mean, they didn't have vaccines. Very, very difficult. When he finally made it there, he, he was stuck in India for a long time. Finally, he made it to Burma. It was six years before he saw the first person confess Christianity. Six years is a long time. During that time, he lost two children. One of them was born stillbirth, and the other one was seven months old when it died. Um, after that, he was imprisoned for 17 months and tortured. Terrible. He was starved to death. Um, and he was translating the Bible into Burmese at this time. Very, very difficult language. That was, he considered it his life's work if he finished this, because he thought if a, if a country had God's words, even if he died and he wasn't there, it would still keep on going. That's what he believed. And so he worked his whole life on translating the Bible. 17 months in prison, tortured. Uh, when he got out of prison, his wife had bribed, tried bribing the governor and you know, bringing him food, and she was pregnant at the time. Couldn't see him the last few weeks that she was pregnant. Um, and when he finally got out of prison, he went to see her. He didn't recognize her. All her hair was gone. They had shaved her head. The baby he didn't know. It was a little girl named Maria. Um, because she was so starved, he didn't think that could possibly be his child. Shortly after that, he was away on a trip, and he got a letter about a month after it happened that his wife had died. And he went back. You know, he couldn't go right then. He had to take a ship because he was, I think he was in India at the time. He went back, and his, uh, his little girl didn't know him. She was maybe a year old, and she died shortly after that. So that's three children that he lost. Um, after his wife died, he went up shortly after, and... He, went, he was by himself, very depressed, in a cabin up in the hills somewhere in Burma for a long time, dug his own grave, sat beside it, contemplated his life. What, why am I here? Why are you doing this to me, God? But he kept going, and he didn't quit. And he got married again. Um, 
you know, it's a long, I could tell you lots more. He only went back to America once, and that's because he had to. I don't remember why, um, but it was kind of a necessary thing. I think it was because his, his second wife was sick. He ended up losing two wives. He had 11 kids, and six of them died. He lost six children. Um, and then he died, and his third wife continued. She was younger than him. But now in Burma, there are about three million people who say confess Christianity, and that's because of him. It's because he stayed there and he didn't quit. He could have easily come home, but he persevered and he kept going. And that, you know, none of us are probably ever going to do anything that extreme. And there, there's lots of other missionaries you can talk about that did amazing things like that, especially back then when life was a lot harder than it is now. But he's a, an amazing example of perseverance. And this verse says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. We do, if we do not give up. So his Burmese Bible still is in existence, and it's the only translation that I know of that, is, that exists today. And it's because he kept going, even when he, you know, how could you lose that much and not quit and give up and think that God wasn't with you? But he knew that God was with him. And this verse, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So if you keep going, you know, sometimes, man, people, you know, people in your family, people you work with, they drive you nuts. You just, you just don't want to be with them. And, and sometimes you should walk away. Some relationships aren't healthy. And you know, I'm not saying you have to stick it out every time. But most of the time, you probably should. And you should show them love. Be patient with them. Be kind with them. Just like we read in 1 Corinthians 13. How do you do this? I mean, how do you have the strength to do this? And I think Jesus, of course, is the best example we have of perseverance. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Um, he gives you the strength when you don't have the strength. We don't have it ourselves. No human without God could do what Adoniram Judson did. You have to have the love of God in your life. Um, ask him for it. God, help me persevere. When someone's driving you crazy, when you want to quit, when you're so mad, when someone hurts your feelings and you're brokenhearted, you say, Jesus, 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 help me. God, please help me. Just ask him, and he will. He will help you every time. He will, I mean, it might not be in the way you think he's going to, but he's going to help you. He's going to give you wisdom. Shask, right? The word we <laughs> heard last week. Be quiet and ask. You probably never thought that would be used again, but I'm not going to let him forget it. <laughs> the, uh, God will give you wisdom if you ask for it. He says he will, and he will. He will give you wisdom on what to do when you're in situations like that, when you need to persevere and you need to keep going with somebody and you really don't want to. So the third one, after perseverance, is love. And the only way you know, we can really know real love is to learn from God. And in 1 John, it says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And a lot of times, you know, bad things happen, and you think, God doesn't love me, or where is God in the world? I just read, I don't even like to read the news, but this uh, a father of three this past Friday was roofing a school in New Jersey and fell off, and he died. So he's got three little kids, and, you know, where's God? Why does God let stuff like that happen? It's a valid question. I mean, why does he? I don't have the answers. But I do know that he didn't push the guy off the roof, and it wasn't his plan to kill him so those kids could learn a lesson. I don't believe that's God. And a lot of people think, you know, it was God's will to take my child, or it was God's will that I lost my job so, he could, so I could learn something from it. 
No, I don't believe that. God is for you and he's not against you. He, and I believe he can work those things out so you can learn something from it that you might not have learned otherwise, but he doesn't have to cause stuff like that to happen so you'll be a better person. He loves you and he's good all the time. God is always good. So Christ's perseverance gives us strength because he didn't quit. We don't have to quit. We can have the same power that he had. He persevered, so we can persevere also. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So walk in love. How do you do that? How do you live it out every day? You know, the self-control things help. The perseverance things help. The, one of the biggest things that stands out for me that is a hindrance to love is this. The Bible says, do not judge. Plain and simple. Do not judge. Not judge sometimes. Judge a little bit here and there. Don't judge. That's what it says. I am a queen of judgment. <laughs> I can judge anybody. I'm a, I'm a good judger. Um, not, that's, a, that's a bad thing, okay? I'm just being honest here. But the Bible says not to do it. Don't judge. And I was reading, I'm going to talk about it in a, book, a minute, this book, by Greg Boyd called Present Perfect, Finding God in the Now. Great book. Highly recommend it. But he told a story in it. Um, he was talking about love, and um, he said that he read in the news about this uh, three-year-old little boy who his, uh, I think it was his mother's boyfriend, I don't think they were married, um, had tortured him basically since birth and abused him, and he eventually had died. He was three years old, really bad death. He didn't say how it happened. Nothing gets me more than kids and being hurt. I mean, I just... I think those people are the scum of the earth. <laughs> I just, oh man. But then he said, that's what he was thinking, the author, and uh, that night he felt like God gave him a vision, and he said he saw a little boy in a closet, and the boy was screaming, Daddy, let me out. Daddy, let me out. And he assumed it was the boy that had been tortured, that God was showing him that for some reason. And God said, no. He said, this is the boy, this is the boy who murdered him. He said, this is him when he was a child. Pray for him, is what he said. So this little boy, probably, you know, assuming the vision was from God, had had the same things happen to him when he was a kid, and that's all he knew. You know, I'm not saying it's right. He needs to be punished. Um, it's not an excuse. But when we judge them, we don't think about what did they go through, you know, as a kid. Um, and it's almost always child abuse is a cycle like that. It was done to you, so you do it to the... It's all... It's all you know, he might have hated himself for it, for all we know. But what should we do with a guy like this? Should we lock him away forever and hate him and call him the scum of the earth? You know, maybe you should go visit him every week in the, in the prison and bring him cookies and tell him, God loves you. It doesn't matter what you did. God still loves you. That would be so hard to do. I mean, I just want to punch the guy. How could you do this to a child? But it was done to him. And we judge people. We think we're better than them. We think we would never do that. I would never do that. If you were locked in a closet when you were three years old, you don't know what you would do. You have no idea. And so I think it's really important to remember the child, to remember when you're judging someone. And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as you know, child abuse. It could be your neighbor who, doesn't never, who never talks to you. We actually have a neighbor like this. They're, they don't wave. My kids wave at them. They don't wave back. I think, man, these people are so rude. How can they not wave at my kid? But I don't know what their background is. You know, I don't know what they've been through in their life. And we have to remember, we don't know what's going on in their mind, their DNA, the genes that they have. People are built differently. They have different experiences. And we have no right 
to judge them. Judging them is not going to help anything. It's not going to do any, anybody any good. It's not going to change them. It's not going to make them a better person. It's not going to make them not do it again. Judging them doesn't help. So remember the child. The next thing, this book, Present Perfect, as I said, it's a great book. Highly recommend it. Um, but it, the, the idea of the book is that you should be present with God all the time, as much as possible. You know, it's all, it seems almost impossible. But he talks about practical things you can do and why you should do it, how to, be, to realize God is always with you. He's right there. He's always helping you. Um, he's, he's walking with you constantly. And to be aware of him. If you're not aware of him, it doesn't do any good. But when you're aware that God's with you and you focus on that, it helps you to love people better. It helps you to realize the people around you. Know, you're, when you're at the, the restaurant, you notice your waitress or your waiter. You notice the clerk who's checking you out instead of just going on with your business and never looking up. When God's with you and you're present with him all the time, it makes a huge difference in your life. And man, that's, you know, that's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> and it's, it, it takes a lot of practice. I, I think in the book talks about that, how you have to, you know, there's this guy, this other book I read, it called uh, Game with Minutes. And this guy, every hour he would try to once a minute for an hour, focus on God or think about God. It doesn't mean you have to pray and get on your knees. It just means you think about God. Because a lot of times we go hours and hours and days and we don't even hardly think about God. And we can't love the best that we can if we're not thinking about God, if he's not in our thoughts. And we have to train ourselves. It's a discipline. It takes work to learn to do that. It's not just like, God, help me think about you more. That's a good prayer. But unless you, you know, do something like read this book and do what it says, it's not just going to happen. You, know, you can ask for it, and that's good, and that's going to help. But you have to do something other than that. I've got two verses left. This one, watch, the, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Man, it's hard. Love like that. Love extravagantly. Um, give your time. What do you do you know, with most of your time? Is your time spent on yourself mostly, or is it spent on other people? Your money. What do you do with your money? Is most of your money spent on yourself, or is it spent on other people? That those, you know, those are two, biggest, two of our biggest assets, our biggest resources. And if you look at what you're doing with those things, Spend them extravagantly, not on yourself, but on other people. In this verse we talked about before, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So someday, you know, I was thinking, I think about this a lot. Um, you know, at your funeral someday, when people are standing around talking, and I always think about this when I go to a funeral, what are people saying about this person? You know, what, it, and it's going to happen to all of us. Someday, some people are going to be standing around in our funeral, and they're going to be talking about us, every person in this room, unless God comes back before that happens. But do you want them to say, man, he worked hard. He was the hardest worker. What a, what a great house they had. Or, you know, boy, he was a good family person. He took good care of his kids. Or, you know, they invested well. He, you know, look at his retirement account. His kids are set for life. You know, there's lots of things. I don't know what they could say. But what if they said... Man, she loved like Jesus did. I've never been loved like, like she loved me. Or, 
you know, he loved so well. How many, how many people say that at somebody's funeral? They were full of love. And then at their funeral, you know, strangers come in. People you never, you know, people you never even knew knew this person because they were loved by this person. And if we do that, if we, if we focus on love, you know, you're never going to arrive. It's never going to be like one day you wake up, I'm good at love. Ah, I've got it, finally. It's something that constantly that you're going to have to work at your whole life. And there might be times when you're more focused on it than others, but what could be better? What better way to spend your life than to learn about love, what love really is? That's going to change the world. That's how the world is changed. You know, riots and marches and all that kind of stuff, it, it helps a little bit. But what really changes the world is when people love each other. You know, just your, your co-worker, one person at a time. The mustard seed, mustard seed kingdom is what God's kingdom is called. One person at a time, loving them, changes the world. It really does. That's, that's, how, that's what we have to do, and it's really hard. But you've got to persevere and do it.